As we continue our time of worship, I would invite you to turn to your Bible, to Luke chapter 2. And if I could just encourage you today, at some point, I would encourage you to sit down with your family and read through this entire chapter of the birth of Christ. But we're going to focus in on verses 8 through 14. In the same region, there were some shepherds staying out in the fields and keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord suddenly stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terribly frightened. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that you will be for all the people. For today in the city of David there has been born to you a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there appeared with an angel, a multitude of heavenly hosts, praising God, saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among men, with whom he is pleased. God, I come before you, and I thank you for an opportunity for us to come and just revel in the fact that you have come. That you sent your only son to live that life we could not live. To die that death that we deserved. That we may be in right relationship with you just by putting faith and trust in him. Mm. As we think about your coming the first time, let us wait with anticipation for your coming the second. Mm. It is in Jesus' beautiful name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Pastor Bruce. Today, we celebrate Christmas. Today, we celebrate all the things that God has done, the way He's worked in each and every one of our lives because His Son has come. And for the past five Sundays, we've actually been doing what we call the At the Movies Christmas series. If you look around the room, you see the posters that are up there of the different movies that we did. And what we did is we went to the different Christmas movies to find the message that is found within them about Christmas. And I mentioned it yesterday if you were here with us, but every movie that we talked about, and really most Christmas movies in general, they all revolve around the same idea. And that same idea is that Christmas brings change to people's lives. Christmas brings change to people's lives. And in a sense, it's true because Christmas does bring change to people's lives. But like most things in life, Hollywood gets aspects of the truth, but not quite all of the truth. And they'll tell stories of people that have changed because of Christmas. Or they'll tell people that that have changed because of the Christmas spirit or the Christmas setting. But they miss the foundational reason that made Christmas a time of change. Now, I've watched numerous Christmas movies in my lifetime. As a matter of fact, I've watched numerous Christmas movies since Thanksgiving of this year. And in it all, what I see is that they will hint towards the true meaning of Christmas, but they don't quite hit it. You'll see a church. You'll see a manger scene. 
You'll see priests. You'll even hear the message of the music in the background as they're singing. I love in the newest version of the Grinch, as they're chasing the Grinch through town, the carolers are, they're singing, God, God rest you, merry gentlemen. And the message that's in that song is just amazing. Now, most of them aren't focusing on that, but if you hear it, you see it. They miss the real reason and the real focus. And if you want to know the true meaning of Christmas, the truth is we have to look away from the screen. We have to look to the Word of God. Look away from the screen and to the Word of God because the meaning of Christmas can be found all throughout Scriptures, but especially in the Gospels. And today we're going to look, as Pastor Bruce read from Luke chapter 2, we're going to be actually looking at Matthew chapter 1 for our answer to the true meaning of Christmas. It's actually found in three verses, Matthew 21, I'm sorry, Matthew 1, verses 21 through 23. 21 through 23. And as you'll see, these were instructions, these two of the verses, at least of the three, were instructions to Joseph from the angel Gabriel about what to name the Son of God. And so as we look at it, we see this in Matthew, and those names are important as we look at the true meaning of Christmas, because this is what it says, starting in verse 21. She will give birth to a son, and you are to name him Jesus. Why? Because he will save his people from their sins. Now all this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet. See, the virgin will become pregnant and give birth to a son, and they will name him Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. God is with us. And in these two verses, you find two names. Two names, and in these two names, we find the true meaning of Christmas. Jesus, our Savior, in Emmanuel, God with us. Jesus, our Savior, is the first one we'll look at. I've heard it simply said this. So there's three phases in Christ's life. Now, there's much more to it, but this is a simple way to put it. It is the cradle, the cross, and the crown. The cradle, the cross, and the crown. He stepped down. God sent His Son, stepped down out of heaven to be born of a virgin, the cradle. He lived the perfect life so that he could die that substitutionary death on the cross to save us from our sins. The truth is, is we deserve punishment. We deserve judgment. But Jesus saved us by dying in our place and by defeating death and taking his place at the right hand of the, of the throne of the Father to become the King of kings and the Lord of lords, the crown. You've probably heard this verse before, but it's one that's worth repeating. It's so full of so much truth that I think we just need to even hear it this morning. And that is Romans 6, 23. Probably if you grew up in the church or grew up in Awana, you probably memorized this and you could probably say it with me, except I'm not going to be reading from New King James, so it might sound a little different. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Let me tell you what that means. Wages is what we earn for what we do. What did we do? We sinned. Because we sinned, we earned death. Now, there's an amazing transitional word in the middle of all that because if it stopped there at that part in this verse, that would be a terrible thing. There's an amazing word that that word is but. We earned death because of our sin, but God. He gave a gift. That gift of eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. That is why He put on flesh. That is why He was born of a virgin. That is why we celebrate today. Jesus, the Savior of the world. But there's a second name that is in there. That second name that is in there, we find the truth of what the meaning actually is and why He came, and that is Jesus Emmanuel, God 
with us. Jesus is with us all the time. Just stop and ponder that for a second. God is with us all the time. Wherever we might be, whatever situation we might find ourselves in, God is with us. I heard somebody talk about this the other day as they were talking about Malachi and Matthew. In your Bible, there's a page difference between the two. In the time of the writings of all of that, there was a 400-year gap that God was not there. Think about that for just a second. How long that must have felt to be without and then God with us. Matthew 28, 19 and 20 is the end of Jesus' earthly life and it makes a clear, a pretty clear indicator to the truth of God being with us. When he gives his final instructions to his followers, he says these words, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I have commanded you. And remember, here it is, I am with you always to the end of the age. Now, why is that important? Why is that important at all? Why do we celebrate this day? Why do we care about these two names? Well, with the name Jesus, he saves us from our sins and justifies us before the throne of God. And the name Emmanuel, it gives us the grace that we need to live day to day. As we go through this process of what we call sanctification during our time here on earth. Now, we've already covered two of the gospel stories. I'm going to cover a third one from the book of John. The book of John speaks also to this idea of Emmanuel, God with us. And it's the opening three verses, four verses, and then we're going to be also reading verse 14 of chapter 1. Because Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they're the ones that are kind of famous for the Christmas story, but this one really puts flesh on it, and I say that as a pun. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. All things were created through Him, and apart from Him, not one thing was created that had been created. In Him was life, and that life was the light of men. That light shines in the darkness, and yet the darkness did not overcome it. Now the word, word here was a Greek philosophical term to, describing the unrevealed wisdom of God. The unrevealed wisdom of God. But then in verse 14, John tells us that Jesus, the unrevealed wisdom of God, puts on flesh. It says this, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. We observe his glory, the glory as the one and only son from the father, full of grace and truth. Honestly, for the church, this is the center of every Christmas season. Now, if you go out into the world, if you watch the movies, not necessarily, but this is the true center of the Christmas season. Baby Jesus, wrapped in swaddling cloths, lying in a manger with flesh, incarnate, Emmanuel. And again, man, it's so crazy to think about, but we have to remember that he was sent on a mission from the Father to save sinners. And it was absolutely necessary for these things to happen. Jesus, to be able to complete this mission, he had to take on flesh and blood. He had to have a body just like you and I did. Why? Why put on flesh? You know, we sang, uh, Hark the Herald Angels Sing, and I'm not sure if you caught it in that verse because sometimes because we sing Christmas carols so often, we miss the theological impact that's actually in a lot of them. 
born to raise the sons of earth, born to give us second birth. That's why he came. But why dwell among us? We talked about it up front to save us from our sins and go a little bit deeper. We're going to take a look at the book of Hebrews and we're going to kind of jump around in it. Now, I told Christy this this morning as I was kind of just working through everything. She's like, hey, how long are we going today? We got stuff in the oven. Just, just going to be honest. And I'm like, hey, don't worry. I only have 10 points this morning. So here we go. All right. I am legitimately telling you we have 10 points. I'm just going to do a verse for each one and explain it quickly. So in case you have stuff in the oven too, we don't have to be here all day. This is the reason why he put on flesh. Number one, to become like us in every way. To become like us in every way. Hebrews chapter 2 verses 16 and 17 says these words. And again, if you want to go deeper on this, it'll be online. I'll give you my notes if you want. If you want to take deeper looks into the book of Hebrews, that would be an awesome thing to do. Since for it is clear that he does not reach out to help angels, but to help Abraham's offspring. Therefore, he had to be like his brothers and sisters in every way so that he could become a merciful and faithful high priest in the matters pertaining to God to make atonement for the sins of the people. In order to be our sacrifice, in order to sacrifice himself and redeem us from every aspect of humanity, Jesus had to make himself like us in every way, and that would include putting on flesh. Second reason why he puts on flesh is to become sympathetic to us. To become sympathetic to us. Hebrews 4, 14 through 16. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast to our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in every way as we are, yet without sin. Therefore, let us approach the throne of grace with boldness so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in time of need. If you jump over to Hebrews 2.18, it says these words, For since he himself has suffered when he was tempted, he is able to help those who are tempted. By becoming like us and living on this earth for 30 plus years, Jesus gained firsthand knowledge of our situation. He became intimate with our temptations. He became intimate with our joys. He became intimate with our frustrations and our weaknesses and our strength. And of course, the whole time he never sinned. Because of this experience on earth in the flesh, Jesus overflows with compassion and understanding. Therefore, he is perfectly sympathetic to us. He also put on flesh for this reason. Number three, to become our brother. To become our brother. And there's a song that's out there and it says, you're my friend and you are my brother even though you are a king. It's like one of those worship songs in the like mid, late 90s. You might remember that one. That was one that I always kind of struggle with. I'm like, Jesus is our brother? But listen to what it says here in Hebrews chapter 2, verses 11 through 15. For the one who sanctifies and those who are sanctified all have one Father. That is why Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers and sisters. Saying, I will proclaim your name to my brothers and sisters. I will sing hymns to you in the congregation. Again, I will trust in him. And again, here I am with the children of God that he gave me. Now, since the children have flesh and blood in common, Jesus also shared in these, so that through his death he might destroy the one holding the power of death, that is the devil, and free those who were held in slavery all their lives by the fear of death. You also read over in Romans 8.29 to jump out of Hebrews for a second. For those he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son so that we would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. What an amazing thought. Jesus, our brother, 
which is made only possible because he put on flesh. Fourth thing we see as he put on flesh, to be our obedient substitute. Back over in the book of Hebrews, chapter 5, verses 7 through 10, it says, During his earthly life, he offered prayers and appeals with loud cries and tears to the one who was able to save him from death. And he was, as he was heard because of his reverence, although he was the son, he learned obedience from what he suffered. After he was perfected, he became the source of eternal salvation for all those who obey him. And he was declared by God a high priest according to the order of Melchizedek. Only perfection gets you into heaven. Guess what? You and I, we fall miserably short. But, praise God, Jesus obeyed, and he obeyed for us, and he obeyed in our place as a substitute in the flesh. You know another reason why I put on flesh? Number five is to be an example to us. To be an example to us. Ephesians 5, 1 and 2. Therefore, be imitators of God as dearly loved children. And walk in love as Christ also loved us and gave himself for us, a sacrificial and fragrant offering to God. First John 2, 6 says, The one who says he remains in him should walk just as Jesus walked. What's that mean? Well, it's good to have somebody tell you what to do. But isn't it better to have somebody show you? That's why we should be thankful that Jesus came in the flesh and became an example to us and for us. Because Jesus took on a body, we have a living, breathing example of how we're supposed to live in order to please God. Number six. See, I told you we're going to go fast. To be made a perfect Savior. Hebrews 2.10. For in bringing many sons and daughters to glory, it was entirely appropriate that God, from whom and through whom all things exist, should make the pioneer of their salvation perfect through sufferings. Can I tell you this? Jesus Christ is and always was perfect. But his perfection was demonstrated in his flesh. From the day he was born till the day he died, only to rise again, Jesus never ceased to honor the Father. Therefore, we can have absolute confidence in his perfection that we will be made perfect through a perfect Savior. He also put on flesh for number seven, for this very reason right here, to be a substitutionary sacrifice. A substitutionary sacrifice. In John 1, 29, John the Baptist exclaimed this about Jesus. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He was pointing to the sacrificial death that Jesus would die. In order to, there's a big word here, propitiate, or to satisfy God's wrath towards sinners. But this sacrifice is impossible without body. You know why? Because a ghost or a spirit cannot be sacrificed. He had to put on flesh. In order to be sacrificed, Jesus needed a body. And it's for this reason that we read in Hebrews 10.5, Therefore, as he was coming into the world, he said, You did not desire sacrifice and offering, but you prepared a body for me. Eighth reason, to taste death for everyone. Hebrews 2.9 speaks to this truth. It says, But we do see Jesus, made lower than the angels for a short time, so that by God's grace he might taste death for everyone, crowned with glory and honor because he suffered death. I'm going to throw a hard truth out there for you, but an immortal being, by definition, is immortal. It cannot die. Therefore, the immortal one took on mortality, 
when the Son of God took on flesh so that he could taste death for mankind. Praise Jesus, because he died for all those who would believe in him so they would not perish, but have everlasting, eternal life. Number nine, to become the only mediator. 1 Timothy 2.5 says these words, For there is one God and one mediator between God and mankind. That is, the man, Jesus Christ. See, we have a holy God, and we have sinful man, and there's this giant chasm between us because of sin. We needed a go-between. And that perfect one is found in the God-man, 100% God, 100% man, Jesus Christ. Through his substitutionary life and his substitutionary death, which was confirmed through his resurrection, Jesus now is that go-between. He is the bridge between us and God. Number 10, to be the promise of our resurrection. 1 Corinthians 15, 20 says, But as it is, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. First fruits is a farming term that represents a promise of a payment, a down payment. Jesus' resurrection is that promise that we who are his will be resurrected as well. Going back to that idea of the flesh, immortality, a spirit can't be sacrificed, well, a spirit also can't be raised. It cannot be resurrected. Therefore, Jesus had to take on flesh, and that taking on flesh was a major component to the entire doctrine of resurrection. Without flesh, we could have never died. I'm sorry, without flesh, he could have never died. And he could have never been resurrected because he didn't die. And if he wasn't resurrected, guess what? We're still dead in our sins. That's what 1 Corinthians 15, 17 says. However, because Jesus took on flesh, since he died and since he was resurrected, we who believe in him can forever be forgiven and spend forever with our Father in heaven. That's your 10 points. I know I rolled through them really, really fast. Like I said, if you want to watch them back online later, because that's what you do on Christmas afternoon, feel free to do it, all right? But let me tell you this. On this Christmas morning, let's praise God that Jesus took that step to take on flesh so that we could live eternally with our God. Ladies and gentlemen, that is the meaning of Christmas. That is why we are here, and that is the reason why we say Christmas changes lives. Not because of the spirit of Christmas, because of Jesus Christ. Let's praise Him and continue to praise Him for the rest of this day and the rest of our lives. Let's pray together. Father, thank You for today again. And thanks for the opportunity to be able to come and gather. To be able to be together in Your presence. To be able to be together with Your people. To be able to to celebrate that birth that has changed so many lives. Really, it changed all of culture. I thought about it the other day when we talked about a Christmas carol that, that or, or, or uh, it's a wonderful life and George Bailey thought maybe he should never be born. What if Jesus was never born? What would this world be like? What kind of mess would we be living in? But thank you, God, that you sent your son to put on flesh, that he was born and he changed not just the Roman culture, not just that particular point in time, but changed each and every generation that followed. And God, we are so thankful we're part of that. And in it, we want to respond with our lives for your glory and your honor. May we praise you on this Christmas day and every day that follows. We pray it all in your name. Amen.